Hi, I'm your host, Sophia Ruan Goucher, creator of the Detox Deep Dive Workbooks, author of the critically acclaimed best-selling book, A to Z of Detoxing, the ultimate guide to reducing our toxic exposures, and founder of the Detox Academy, an online library of detox resources available to help you eliminate toxic chemicals, heavy metals, and electromagnetic fields from your home, diet, self-care, and technologies. Welcome to the Practical Non-Toxic Living Podcast. I hope this episode gets you more curious about how your unconscious choices contribute to the patterns in your life. These unconscious influences affect all aspects of your life experience, from your health, to your career, to your relationships, and more. Obviously, there are a lot of factors that we cannot control, like the circumstances we were born into and our genetics. We cannot control everything. However, bringing consciousness to your unconscious decisions, stories, and mindset can transform your life. Josie Radis, the podcast guest of this episode, has helped me with meaningful breakthroughs, so I'm delighted to introduce her to you. Josie is the creator of the Unconscious Mapping System, which is a method that she designed to help clients transform their unconscious patterns into conscious choices. Her intention is to empower and liberate you through her method so that you can elevate your life experience. One thing that struck me as particularly helpful is when Josie points out that one way to discover your unconscious patterns is to notice your always statements, like, I'm always attracted to someone who isn't good for me, or I'm always the one cleaning up, or I'm always overlooked, or I always feel sick after eating at the movie theater. I'm sure that noticing your never statements could also help in a similar way, like, I never earn as much money as I want, or I never feel like I belong, or I never sleep through the night. Looking for statements with always and never has really helped me for both myself and as a mom. I've noticed my daughters often using them. For example, I often hear, she's always mean to me, or she never cleans up, or she always ruins my playdates. I know that raising my daughter's curiosity about how they consciously or unconsciously co-create their experiences will empower them to steer their trajectories towards their desired destinations. And I know that this can help you as it has helped me. I hope you enjoy learning more about Josie as much as I have. Some things that are not reflected in this conversation are how uniquely warm, loving, and healing Josie is. Her energy is also gentle and caring. I also often think about Josie's mentor, Margaret Fields Keen, whose life became dedicated to healing others after she was brain dead for seven minutes. You'll hear more about this near-death experience in the podcast. To learn more about Josie, visit her website at www.josieradus.com, www.josieradus.com, and follow her on Instagram with her handle at Josie underscore Radis, at J-O-Z-I underscore R-A-D-U-S. You can visit the podcast show notes for these links. I'd also like to thank my podcast producer, Chris Robertson, for elevating your listening experience. 
I learned about Josie through a friend who emailed me to share her transformations with Josie. You'll hear me read this email to Josie at the start of this podcast. Here it is. I've been working with this amazing, amazing woman, Josie. She has a healing modality called unconscious mapping system that taps into your unconscious mind and higher self to reveal places that need healing. I have had breakthrough after breakthrough. And aside from the system being pure magic, Josie herself is a special presence of unconditional love and warmth. Honestly, I have not had such a profound journey in a long time. It's beautiful. Beautiful. I got this email and I thought I need to, I need to meet Josie. And it's been, I don't even have the words to describe how you've helped with so much transformation. You've never explained to me the process. So I'm so excited to talk to you about your method, the unconscious mapping system, and hear more about your background and how you came to this work. Well, it's just so wonderful to be here. You know, it's been a long journey of developing in this capacity to dig deeply into the unconscious mind and to reveal what's going on underneath and learn how to shine the light on these patterns that are really most of the time running our lives in a way that we are completely unaware of. So the work that I do is just, honestly, it's such a privilege. So I always say, you know, it's like we go into the dark woods together and we have no idea what we're going to find, but we hold hands and we go into the dark woods of the unconscious and we just see what is there. Once we know what the pattern is, once we can bring light to what it is that's really going on in our unconscious mind and we raise it up to our consciousness then we liberate ourselves to make choices about what we're going to do about this particular pattern that we have. And all of us have these unconscious patterns. Most of our unconscious patterns or most of our belief systems began when we were really young. All of us have experienced trauma, whether they're trauma with a big T or trauma with a small T. All of us on the planet have experienced trauma. And so most of our unconscious patterns or unconscious belief systems develop when we're very young and something happens to us and we don't understand what it is and we can't understand why. Our unconscious belief systems are absolutely brilliant. They actually help us to cope and to get through, to survive through some mostly very, very difficult situations. And then it's like a record, you know, it's on replay. And so while that original belief system was developed to really help us get through a very difficult and very traumatic period that we most possibly would not have managed without that belief system, that unconscious belief system then continues to run in our lives over and over again. So when we get the courage, because I really think it takes courage, it takes a lot of guts to really look into our unconscious belief system and reveal what it is that we're believing. But when we are able to get that insight and understand that now we have a choice, once we see what the belief system is and we realize we no longer need it, we are not in places of survival anymore. Most of us are now adults that are out of very traumatic situations. And so now we get to make choices about what we believe 
Are we going to continue to live our lives according to an unconscious belief system that we developed when we were really young just to help us survive? Or are we actually going to face the pain? A lot of it is around facing the pain, facing the pain of what happened to us, facing that pain and then making new decisions and realizing that we honestly do have the power. We, we have the power to change our belief systems and to really impact on our realities and to change our lives. I've been involved in healing in some form or another for my entire life. It was about 30 years ago, I met Margaret Fields Keene, who through a near-death experience, she developed a system, and I'll tell you more about the system, but she developed a system that really helps us to tap into our unconscious patterns and helps us to understand what's going on below the surface. So it was for me a real honor and a privilege to study with her, to learn about this tool that can help us really dig deeper into our unconscious minds and liberate ourselves through understanding. How did you meet Margaret? I studied social work, so I was already a social worker when I met Margaret. Were you a social worker in South Africa? I was. I, I studied um, social work in South Africa. I graduated in like 1991, a long time ago. And then I practiced social work in various different settings. I did some really traditional social work, like in child welfare, with a lot of underprivileged people in South Africa, street children and various other things. And then I think my longest social work position was with hospice, where I really learned a lot about death and dying and facing loss. I think that was uh, really one of my one of my longest and one of my deepest trainings. Actually, before I started working at hospice, I met Margaret Fields Keen, and I was young. I was uh, in my twenties. I was very dedicated to healing and helping people, but I was also kind of free spirit at that time, and I was living in a community of people. And I met Margaret. She was a she was actually an American who came to South Africa. She was a very interesting woman because before she came into this work, she was a Baptist priest's wife and she lived in rural Virginia. She had absolutely no idea about alternative healing or spirituality in this kind of form that we, that we know it today. She really was a Baptist priest's wife in a very traditional way, but uh, she had a near death experience. She had a blood clot that shot to her lung and she died. And in this near-death experience, her entire perspective on life transformed. So when Margaret came back to Earth, first of all, she had to heal herself. She was very, very ill. And so she began healing herself. And then she just started pretty much downloading all this information about healing. And it became her dedication uh, to bring her work to the Earth. Uh, needless to say, her relationship with her priest husband didn't last very long because when he would come home from the parish instead of dinner lying on the table Margaret would have people lying on the table so anyway but Margaret came to South Africa to work with people that were less privileged than herself and so that's where I met her and I began working with her we worked a lot in church environments with people that were less privileged in kind of real uh, low socioeconomic areas. And Margaret's philosophy, which just made so much sense to me, was that our most natural state of being is one of harmony and alignment. That is our perfection. We are perfect. And that's the way we are meant to be. 
However, because of what happens to us on this earth plane, and not only what happens to us in this lifetime, but possibly what's happened to our families, like an intergenerational pattern, or even possibly a past life, we have these traumas that make us sort of forget about our perfection. And so Margaret's work is all about making us remember our perfection. And so Margaret's work, which really helps us to tap into this, the, the unconscious, helps us to find where we are out of alignment. Her concept is that it helps us to remember our state of perfection. So we will reveal something, we will uncover something, and then we'll remind ourselves of what our most natural state of being is. So that's Margaret's work. And I studied with her and I had the great privilege of actually living with her for a while, which was really interesting. It was amazing because she was extremely sensitive. Um, and you'll uh, relate to this with your work. She could have absolutely no toxins in her environment whatsoever because she was so highly sensitive from this near-death experience. We could only use bicarb of soda to wash our clothes. We couldn't use any spices in our food. Uh, we could use, we, uh, we had to use like baking soda to brush our teeth. It was a very clean environment. Was she that sensitive before the near-death experience? No, she wasn't. It was really from her experience of what she called the oneness. She said, once you've really felt the oneness, things around you become very, she became very sensitized to all the... Wasn't she dead for a while, seven minutes? Yeah, she was. She was dead for quite a long time. During that time, she experienced a connection with... With the, with the one. Yeah, she calls it the oneness. She taught not only the system that I use, which helps us to tap the unconscious, she also taught a process, which we call the quest process. And what that is, is really it's Margaret's experience of dying. It's a board game. And on this board game, you come in and it's really Margaret's full experience of dying. So when you come in, the first place you visit is the tunnel. And she described that it was really like a tunnel that you came into and you sort of do this full life review where you look at your whole life like you're watching a movie. And this game board actually takes you through these different phases of um, what she experienced when she died. So you go into the tunnel, then you go into a place of love where you feel this incredible love. You feel trust. You move into a place of the light and then you move into a place of recognizing perfection, recognizing the perfection of yourself and of everything. And then you move into a place where you're what she calls the gate to the oneness. And before that, where you're sort of standing before this, all that is, and then you enter into the oneness where you actually receive a training program. You get given your assignment. She experienced all this in the few minutes that she was dead. This is exactly what happened to Well, I think time has a totally different experience when you're not on this linear plane. So she received her assignment and then she literally came to earth to carry out her assignment. So this board game, which is a, one of the processes that I share, is something that we can use for any issue, anything that we're stuck with, because what Margaret taught was that you don't have to die to find perfection with anything that we're working with. So we can take any issue that we're stuck with and we can actually move it through this process to a place where we're at what she described as holding the perfection. So that is just one really interesting process. And that process is also great to do with couples or with groups. It really helps you to kind of understand what the other person is experiencing and also get very deep insight into the way that you're moving with a particular issue. So how did Margaret create this mapping system or this board game? 
There's a lot of mystery really in this work. So the board game, so there's two separate processes that I use. The board game is one of the processes. And then the system is another process. So Margaret created the system that has all these different indicators. So we would scan the entire being to look at where the issue is that's out of alignment, so to speak. So we look for stress. We look for anything that's out of alignment. We'll actually scan the whole system and we'll look at, is it a physical issue? Is it a nutritional issue? Is it an emotional issue? Is it spiritual? Is it electrical? Is it to do with toxins? Is it to do with security? Is it to do with energy, negative energy or positive energy? Is it an environmental issue? So I guess Margaret really created a system that helps us scan the entire being. In each session, we will have a healing priority. So in each session, the system will help us kind of focus on a particular area that's out of alignment. And then we'll work towards realigning and to restoring harmony back into each person. In my experience with you, you would show me some gestures with fingers and I would have to imitate them and that would reveal things to you. So how do those hand gestures connect to the mapping system? So each one of the directional indicators is a different hand gesture. While you're imitating my hand gestures, so I would say anything under directional indicator, I can just show the audience and then, you know, um, is it a physical, is it nutritional, is it emotional? And while you're copying my hand gestures, I'm testing to see where there's a weakness. When a weakness comes up, I sort of check all her different indicators. So I often say to people in the sessions, please excuse me, because I'm going to be kind of like mumbling to myself and testing and writing a bunch of stuff down but I'll tell you everything that comes up. So I basically would use Margaret's system to go in and check, scan the whole being, and then we will get a healing priority that we can work with. So are you reading our gestures by how our fingers... And that's a very good question because often clients will say, oh, no, I, am, I, am I doing it right or am I holding it? And it's really got nothing to do with that. It's, I'm testing. So I could use uh, a pendulum. I could use kinesiology. I could, I use, I actually use kinesiology to test the different um, gestures to see where there's a weakness. And what is kinesi kinesiology? Uh, muscle testing. So mm -hmm. I'll, I'll test my muscles to see where the weakness is. But you could use a pendulum, you could use dousing rods, you could you could use anything to, well, not anything, let's say those few things that I've described to really see where there's a so-called like a weakness and out of alignment. So I'm testing my muscles while you're holding different hand positions to see where the weakness comes. But you're sensing the weakness based on my hand gestures, right? Yeah. But based on a connection, you know, basically... Oh, based on how your connection to, to you yeah to my hand gestures or whether it's hand gestures or something else i can try to explain it but there's so much mystery that's involved that even i can try to explain it and i don't even really understand it with my rational mind completely we enter into this sort of mystical space together and then using margaret's system i will test each of the positions that you will hold and I'll find a weakness in the position. We might get an age, for example, it might come up in emotional release and I'll say, give us an age, it will say age 10. So then I'll say to you, can you talk to me about 
anything that comes to mind from age 10. And so within the process, certain memories may come to mind. Um, we might just begin talking through the talking and reflecting on possibly, you know, maybe you don't remember anything. People are like, oh, I have no memory. And then, you know, we'll just look, we'll just say, well, where did you live? Let's describe where you were living or who you were living with. And as we proceed into this process, these unconscious thoughts will begin to come up into the person's mind. And through the process of deep listening and really paying attention and being connected to my clients, we can begin to see a pattern that's emerging. A lot of the time we may find, you know, I always say may because I really don't know what will happen in each person's session. It's so different and so individual. But we may find the first time we ever began running a pattern that believed that we were anything less than perfect. So the first time maybe we'll get an age, age five or age two. And that may have been the first time that we ever realized that there was something not 100% perfect, that we had to create a belief system to help us survive. And so it's really just through this exploration, Margaret's system gives us a kind of container in which to really explore deeply into our unconscious minds to understand what's happening in our unconscious mind so that we can really liberate ourselves to make different choices. I know from experience that it has created breakthroughs and it has been transformative, but I guess I'm wondering, do my unconscious patterns affect my hand gestures, which you can see, but are you saying that as I do the hand gestures, you get information in a way that you can explain? It's not like you're getting information from watching my hand gestures. Is it more an energetic or intuitive feedback? So you will hold the hand gestures and I'll test. So I test my muscles. You test your muscles. My muscles. So you, you're almost like a, a medium or a channel reacting to my reaction to the hand gestures. Exactly. So you're That's holding. Amazing. <laughs> you're holding the hand. You're holding the hand gestures, and I'm tasting. I'm channeling to see where there is a stress or a weakness in your system. So when I do the hand gestures, you feel a stress or a release or a block. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. <laughs> well, it's a privilege. Honestly, it is. I really do feel that. I'm wondering what your feelings are. So if you feel a block or you feel like a block full of pain, do you feel pain? It comes through in kind of like a deep understanding of a person's situation. It's almost like, a, I guess, like a merging with that other person. And then I'll just get a deep sense of what this person is experiencing or what they may be feelings, it may be thoughts. I might just get questions that would help that person to really understand. I think that the work is something between, this is what I've been told, is that the work is something between a kind of reading and therapy. We do get some inspirational messages that will come through that can help a person to get deeper insight. Also, I guess my therapeutic background helps us to get into practices that we can then use on a daily basis. So I think it's kind of a combination of channeling insight and then also therapy, like really doing the work because there is really no shortcuts. You know, I've really realized that in my life and I'm sure you will agree with me is that in any self-work, there's really no shortcuts. I mean, you know, you can have a reading and you can get an amazing inspiration, but you still have to do the work to change your patterns. Most of the work that I do that I've discovered 
we're needing to reconnect with ourselves. We're needing to learn how to learn self-acceptance, learn unconditional love for ourselves, learn how to let go of belief systems that keep us small, keep us uh, disempowered. Often we will maintain a belief system that keeps us small because we really are so afraid of what does it mean if I'm fully empowered? What does it mean if I really get in touch with this incredible, awesome human being that I am? Like, what are the consequences of that in my life? And so very often we, we have to look at that. You know, we really have to work through that together. So while there is this kind of inspiration that comes through, there's also, like I say, the kind of daily work that we have to do to really make these changes possible in our lives. It seems counterintuitive that it would be so hard for many people to really embrace their power, their perfection, like being imperfectly perfect or perfectly imperfect. It's so hard for human beings. And you would think that that would be our default mode, mm-hmm. that it would be easier to feel like we're perfect as we are and to be full of self love, but it's really hard. It's really hard. Mainly it's hard because in order to really tap into our power, we have to come to terms with pain. We have to come to terms with emotional pain and loss and trauma. I would say that is one of the hardest things or one of the biggest sort of frontiers that we as human beings really have to learn about is how to tolerate our emotional bodies and how to learn how to tolerate discomfort and pain because people are very afraid of emotional pain. We're very afraid that if we really take a look at what happened to us, that we'll drown in our pain or we won't be able to cope. So we adopt belief systems that keep us separate from this emotional pain. I really do love the work of Carl Jung because Carl Jung works very much with the unconscious. And recently I just came across a quotation which really made so much sense to me where he says that neurosis is actually a substitute for legitimate suffering. And so very often we will stay up in a space of like anxiety or neurotic thoughts or being like neurotic in a way to avoid the really deep pain that happened, the sort of deeper, more what he calls legitimate suffering. And I think that that's true because in order to really reconnect with our true power, we have to walk through the doorway of pain. And we have to also confront our shadows, confront the parts of ourselves that are hidden, the parts of ourselves that we don't know about or we're afraid of. Once we confront our shadow, we confront our pain. That's the journey to wholeness. Loving ourselves is not as easy as a superficial love for the self. We're talking about deep love. We're talking about unconditional love, which embraces the parts of ourselves that are maybe not acceptable according to societal norms or what our parents taught us. There's there's bunches of things about us that are hidden that we're afraid of. And it's only really when we confront those parts of ourselves and we can really love. When I use the word love, I mean um, a sort of unconditional acceptance, not a kind of hearts and roses kind of love, but like a deep love, like an unconditional love. To not reject or alienate or exile parts of us that we don't want to look at. I think for a lot of people, the idea of our subconscious or unconscious is really vague. What would you say to those people about how much influence our unconscious has on our lives? Hmm. 
Yeah, that's a great question. Um, most of us can pretty much experience our unconscious mind in action. So whether it's in our work life or in our romantic life or in our any aspect of our life, we'll notice that we always experience the same thing. Like, why is it that I'm, I'm always attracted to somebody who is not good for me? Or I always find myself being less than prosperous. You know, it's like these sort of always statements. No matter how much we try, this time it's going to be different and I'll get a new job and I start off in a particular way. And lo and behold, six months down the line, I'm in exactly the same position as, as I was in the previous job. I'm, you know, whatever, I'm the dog's body. I'm always doing everything for everybody. I'm always, you know, I'm always the one that's staying late at work and I'm always the one that picks up the slack. And why is that? Well, that's because of our unconscious patterns. It's because of something that we believe about ourselves. You know, when I say that these unconscious patterns are helpful to us when we are younger. So for example, let's say that example of like, I'm, I'm always the one that always works harder than everybody else. I'm the one who picks up the slack. So that could have been a situation where a person was in a family where there may have been conflict, there may have been marital conflict between the parents. And so the child may have taken on this role of like, I'm going to make it better. So I'm going to do everything around this house because she or he felt we feel everything. Even when we don't understand it, when we're children, we feel all the feelings that are around in a household. So we might not understand what's going on. Let's say there was conflict between the mom and dad, and we don't know, we don't understand that. We have no concept of that developmentally. We can't be expected to understand that, but we feel all these emotions and we feel this pressure and this conflict. So we decide if I do everything in the house, I'm going to make everybody happy. So there's sort of like this fawning response of like, I'm going to please everybody. I'm going to take the attention away from this because this feels like if I let this happen, something bad is going to happen. And I start, I feel my power, like I can make a decision that I will take this on and I will make everybody happy. And so this person might begin to be somebody who always takes the, t the dishes off the table and washes the dishes and always does everything for everybody, trying to kind of bring peace or bring happiness into the home. Most of the time that didn't work, but that did make that child in that moment feel like there was something that they could do with these unexplainable feelings feelings that were around in the house. So it gave them a, a sense of power. Like I can do something to make this better. I can become a good person. I can become a helpful person. And so later on in their lives, they're in this repeat pattern. So they're always the one that's always so helpful, always so kind, always doing everything for everybody. And it feels like you can't change. So that is just an example of how our unconscious mind is running our lives and we don't realize it. We don't realize it until we go back and we look and we go, oh, wow, when I was 10, this is what happened. And I remember, I remember always being the one, oh no, I'll do it. And so, you know, once we realize that, we realize the impact of our unconscious minds, we are so incredibly powerful. Our minds are so incredibly powerful, our unconscious minds, because they are creating everything that we see. You know, also what I want to say about the unconscious, because your question was, how do we understand how the unconscious creates our reality? It's not only in our individual lives, it's also in our collective experience, because the more of us that believe a particular thing, the more it is true. It works in advertising, just in the most sort of mainstream, you know, reality, we see how advertisers will make us believe something. 
it can be anything like, oh, we need, I'll use a silly example, like deodorant. In years gone by, before we were so-called civilized and whatever, we didn't use deodorant. But now it's a need. We believe that we need it. You can believe anything. Marketing works on convincing the unconscious mind of something. And the more of us that believe that, the more it becomes a true reality. So it works in our individual lives, but it also works in a collective sense. I'm not sure if that example was a good one, if that made sense. No, that's very helpful. It makes me wonder what your thoughts are on reality, because like, what is reality when it's really just what we individually or collectively think or believe? I do. I believe that reality. So we're co-creating. We are always co-creating our reality, right? Absolutely. We are co-creating our reality and our power lives in liberating our consciousness so that we can make choices and that we're not living on default based on what we decided a long time ago, or maybe even a belief system that we adopted. So yes, reality is our conscious. It's our collective consciousness that determines reality. So if we're talking about creating collective change, to me, the only avenue to creating collective change is for each one of us individually to grab hold of ourselves and explore deeply our own consciousness and our own thoughts. Because when we liberate ourselves, we open up the possibilities for a new reality. Earlier, you mentioned the emotional body. For those who don't understand what that is, what would you want them to know about our emotional body? We are made up of rational aspects and we're made up of those aspects that are not of the mind. That is our feeling body. And almost 50% of us is this emotional, so-called irrational, that it doesn't follow sort of logic and mind and body. It exists in a different realm. So our emotional body is simply, you know, all of us feel emotions. We get upset. We feel angry. We feel sad. We feel overwhelmed. All of us experience emotions, but we haven't yet as a humanity learned how to harness this incredible power of our emotions. We are afraid of emotions. We're afraid of being overwhelmed by emotions because we actually don't have any tools. We don't know how to understand our emotions and to allow ourselves to feel. So all of us feel. It's just that some of us are better at sweeping them under the carpet and pretending that they're not a big deal. The thing about emotions is that they don't go anywhere. They just store up. You can sort of sweep your feelings under the carpet and carry on pretend that it's not a big deal. But eventually that sort of feeling cabinet, so to speak, or that compartment inside ourselves will become full and then it will have to come out. So for example, if you're the kind of person that always says, oh no, it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. But then, you know, that saying that says the final straw that broke the camel's back. So it could be that small little thing, you know, somebody's driving on the road and they, uh, they cut you off and suddenly this huge rage comes out and, you know, we experience these phenomena like road rage. Now that rage is most probably something that has been stored up since that person was a child they've never been able to actually express their feelings and so we have it may seem inappropriate how can that person be so angry or so sad about something kind of seemingly insignificant well it's because that person is full emotionally and so we have to learn how to allow ourselves to empty our emotions and to learn from our emotions because our emotional body gives us so much information about who we are Our emotional body is all tied up with our kind of intrinsic, intuitive, instinctual self. 
fear tells us that there's something we must that we must look out for. If we're excited about something or something fills us with enthusiasm, that gives us information that this is something for us. The thing with feelings as well is that you can't selectively block feelings. So you can't say, oh, I only want to experience the happy, good, enthusiastic feelings. When you block feelings, you block all feelings. And so then we become disconnected and we're operating our whole lives from a kind of rational sense. And a lot of us will start to feel empty and depressed and lost because our emotional bodies have all that information for us. I always say feelings are water. It's in motion, emotion. It's something that needs to move and feelings will move. They'll pass. The only thing we have to be concerned about with feelings is if we block or if we stop because if we build a dam, then we can drown, you know, because then the water will get too full. But if we learn how to just open and allow the feelings to move, it will go, it will change. You know, when you see a child getting angry, for example, they're angry for a couple of, for a minute, maybe like really intensely, how could you steal my toy? And they get so angry and they let it out. And then a minute later, they're laughing because they emptied that anger drawer. But we as adults, we store it and we store it and we store it. And then something happens and it's this like huge explosion. So we have to learn again to allow ourselves um, to unlock this incredible part of ourselves, which has so much to give us, to help us to get to know who we are. I've never heard feelings described as water, but that's perfect. That's so helpful. I actually have a thing with blocked water. Like I don't want anything still wet put in drawers or cabinets because bad things grow from trapped water. <laughs> exactly. hundred percent. It's so true. We have to really give ourselves uh, a chance to let that water, water dry out. I, I, I love that. I love what you're saying. Yeah. So by the time clients come to you, they are prepared to do their work. They're like brave enough. Do you feel like once someone has arrived at that point where they're feeling like, okay, I'm ready to face my shadows, does change happen pretty quickly? Um, okay, so that's such a good question. Um, I think that, first of all, you can get a lot out of just one session. Like I do have some clients where well, I, I always say you should have a follow-up at least to kind of integrate it. So I, I really prefer it if you have two sessions, but I do think you can get a lot out of one session because it will bring awareness to parts of yourself that you didn't even know about. And you really can, you know, if you're committed, you can actually make real changes from one session. But as I say, to make any real significant change, because because our unconscious uh, belief systems are kind of habitual, you know, we're just so used to, it's like we have these grooves in our, in our mind um, that we're just so used to every time this happens, we respond in that way. It takes, it takes some significant work and commitment to um, want to really change the track of your life. I do think that, you know, you can get a lot from a, from, from a one-off session, maybe with just a follow-up, because I really like to help with integration. Um, but I think if you really want to do the work, some clients I'll have like a one-off, you know, session with, 
Most of my clients I see for at least four sessions. I sell my work in sessions. So I would say at least four sessions if you're working on one thing and you want to really kind of, you know, work to, to make changes. But most of my clients, quite honestly, will land up doing a lot more work with me because uh, once we start to uncover, you know, what's really going on, uh, we can find, we can grow so much. There's so many layers, you know, it's, it's like an onion. I'm sure you've heard that description before. It's like once you start doing your self-work and you take off a layer, then there comes another layer, you know, and, and so we can we can continue to work because... We works in we we works in progress as human beings. That's what we're doing here. I do have clients that I've seen for years, and those people will remain working with me, um, maybe as an alternative to therapy, or as a, as therapy, or um, or maybe as a combination with therapy. But all of my clients make significant changes. Absolutely. Yeah, my experience with you was that I mean, yes, becoming aware of something that you're, you haven't been aware of that contributes to a pattern is hugely valuable, but then how that applies into your daily life, your relationships, these choices you've just been making without much thought that it was so helpful to talk to you several times over time. So I could apply the awareness to how I actually live my life. So, yeah, I found it, I mean, one session incredibly helpful, but then how to actually apply it to break patterns that I wanted to break. It was wonderful to have the continued support. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, that most of my clients feel like that. They really want to do the work. And as you say, that's where the bravery really comes in. It's like, how am I going to make this change? every day in my life, you know, in my daily life, in my relationships, in the way that I live, in the choices that I make. That's when it becomes real, right? That's when we really start seeing um, change in our lives and um, different outcomes. Well, we have just a few minutes left. And I wanted to ask, because the name of the podcast is Practical Non-Toxic Living, I was wondering what your top one to three tips are for practical non-toxic living. Well, I thought about it because I was thinking about your beautiful work and non-toxic living. And I was thinking, I, I don't know where it was that I read. It was kind of like a meme or something like that that said, oh, you know, you can remove all the EMFs and you can eat kale and you can make sure that there's no toxins in your life. But if you don't do the self-work, you'll still live in a toxic environment. And Actually, I think that that's really true because I think that we have to do both. I think that we have to do the work of removing the physical toxins in our environment and becoming aware of that. But I also think we have to realize that we have toxic thoughts and we have negative energy internally and that we really have got the power to make those changes and choices and that changing your external environment um, can only go so far that if you uh, really want to make a significant shift in your life, you need to look within to change some of those uh, negative internal toxins, so to speak. So Yeah, I totally agree. And I think our perceptions, perspectives, the frameworks through which we view or experience various things, whether it's health or 
love, our relationships, what success is. Those are all ideas we have in our heads based on our life experiences. And if we can bring more awareness to those filters through which we experience life and recognize the patterns that don't serve us, the world just opens up to so much possibility and so much more happiness, health, and love. You're such a gem. Anyone who can spend time with you will be so lucky. You have transformed my life and I know you will transform many others. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Mahani. It's such a pleasure. And I really appreciate you and your work that you're doing. So thank you so much. I didn't realize that the hand gestures help you channel. Very often our uh, blocks will show up in various different ways. So they may show up in uh, physical symptoms or in confusion around like, you know, what's right for us nutritionally or feeling like we don't belong or like or feelings of anxiety, all those sort of things. If we're having like multiple different like physical issues or we can't sleep or we just have this kind of generalized anxiety and we can't settle, all of those things are kind of symptoms that show us that we need to do deeper work. I have absolutely nothing against medication. I think medication is super duper helpful in many ways. And I think that when there's symptoms presenting in various different ways, that it means that there's something to look at, that we should really take a look and that we'll be amazed at how much power we have, how absolutely incredible we really are and how we can really turn our lives around. That's so helpful. We have like this sleep epidemic. So many people have trouble sleeping. There's something else underlying all of that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We, we do. It's so true. Sleep is, a, is a, such a big one because when we sleep, the line between our conscious and our unconscious kind of blurs. So very often we might be avoiding what's going on in our unconscious mind if we can't sleep. Even if we don't know it, often we are working very deeply on our unconscious stuff when we're sleeping. So that, that can be a reason why people don't sleep. Or it can just be, you know, there's, there's so much stress in our society now and our nervous systems are so jacked up. You know, we just, we don't know how to activate our parasympathetic nervous system and just calm down. We just don't even know how to do that. And also there's worthiness issues. We feel like we just are supposed to be working all the time and that uh, we don't understand how important it is to um, allow ourselves to rest and to nurture and to nourish ourselves so that we can really um, be the best that we can be. So true. While we work deeply on emotional stuff, the system usually will, will be able to point out things like, okay, you, you need to be getting at least eight hours sleep a night or what food supplements are you taking? So we might even just look at that, you know, what food supplements are you taking? Maybe, and you know, we can test to see if you need to add a particular food supplement, or we may even see that there's a physical symptom that, you know, we think it's emotional, but maybe it's actually really physical. So the system can actually even help us check out certain things. Like if we constantly having physical pain, um, and we don't know what it is, it's definitely worth having a session and, and let's see if we can uncover. Maybe it is literally a physical thing and you have to go see a doctor, but maybe it's an unconscious trapped emotional um, issue that we need to look at. I agree. The world well, would be a better place if they all did this work. Absolutely. More people did it. I think so. I think that's the only way we really can make change now is... Um, to work on ourselves, to work on ourselves, to be better, uh, wholer people. 
the world seems so crazy now. How to soothe the parasympathetic nervous system is meditation. Oh, I think meditation. I think also, you know, we have to be also very aware of like issues around spiritual bypassing too, because we have by now had a lot of loss. I'm big on giving ourselves opportunities to feel and allowing ourselves to feel just like how we learned with mindfulness, how to, you know, watch um, thoughts go by. We need to also learn how to do that with our emotions and give ourselves opportunities to feel. So I, I think that that's a big one. A lot of the time we're kind of running from our feelings. So that's also why we're so activated, you know, because we just, we feel like if we stop, it's all going to come out. And so we need to create safe spaces to allow, allow ourselves to feel safe spaces to work with a practitioner or to even find ways through writing, through journaling or through art. I find art just such a helpful thing, drawing or even moving to allow yourself to just be in those, in those emotional states and allow yourself to feel. I think that really can help too with giving ourselves some, some downtime. You know how we spoke earlier about a lot of people are, are afraid to sleep because during sleep, the lines between the unconscious and the conscious blur more. Is that also a similar reason to why so many people are afraid to be alone? Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's so true. It is so true because when you are alone, then all your thoughts start coming up. Absolutely. And we're distracting ourselves all the time with company, with social media, with you know Netflix, um, with all these things, work, all these things, we distract ourselves so that we don't confront ourselves. And yet that's what we really do need to do is to confront ourselves and realize that, realize that we're actually just incredible. There's really nothing to run from. We really don't have to run from ourselves. We have to uh, learn to accept ourselves. Yes. To let the water flow. <laughs> Exactly. And dry out. I love your, I love yours. Dry out. Even when the water hurts, let it flow. And be kind to the self. Creating safe spaces like through, uh, you know, committing to kindness to the self and compassion and support, supporting ourselves. A lot of us didn't receive support when we were growing up in the way that we really needed, needed it. So we have to learn how to be kind to ourselves. And how to develop other other ways of raising ourselves so that we can um, that we can grow. Yeah. Thank you, Josie. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I appreciate My it. My pleasure. Thanks for listening. Podcast show notes can be found at my website at nontoxicliving.tips. To more easily listen to other episodes, please subscribe to the Practical Non-Toxic Living Podcast. And if you'd like to support it, then please like it and share it. Until next time.